0: Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, RedemptionsHill.com. This
1: morning, in the Word of the Lord, we're in Ephesians 2, starting with verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you are so good and gracious to us, Lord, that we can bring nothing to the table, and you demand nothing of us, God. And that through this love and through this blood, you have made us to be close to you. You have made us children, God. Lord, we glorify your name. Lord, I pray that you would just help us by your spirit to help us lay ourselves down this morning. Lord, both in worship and the preaching of the word, God, that we would die to our flesh and hear what you in your spirit would have for us, God. Would you lead would we follow, Lord? We praise your mighty name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I, think we're, I think we're about four sermons into the series. Um, I thought that I was going to have to take TJ out to the parking lot and kind of fight for a shot. Um, you know, maybe slug it out in the parking lot there in the snow or something like that. But he was gracious enough to let me get in uh, this week, and it's, it's it's pretty exciting to go through this book. Um, Ephesians just for me is one of those books that I think uh, anybody at any level really uh, can can read it and walk away with some level of understanding of what Paul is trying to communicate to us. It doesn't feel, um, it can be technical at times, but I don't think it's overly technical. Um, but I think it's just enough even for uh, intellectuals to even walk away with a, a full stomach, I guess you could say. And I think that's, that's one of the best things about this book. Uh, it's one of the best things about the word in general. That even things that we think are um, elementary or JV uh, can still be mind-blowing. It can still be powerful. It can still be fulfilling. And today's, today's passage is just kind of a continuation. It's just a continuation of the theme that we'll see in the first three chapters of this book, and TJ outlined that for us last week, and that theme just being gospel and its implication for our lives. And you'll see that there's, there's an equality of both, right? There's, there's, there's heavy gospel, and there's going to be heavy implications. And that's 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 the point. We draw all of our implications for life out of the gospel, right? We can become, I think with some of that, we can become forgetful at times about the change, the change that the gospel has done in our lives, in our hearts. And so, like Paul starts off this passage today, it would help us to remember. Uh, last week, we were reminded of this Glorious truth! It's something that we try to do every week here. Is that it's a reminder that Christ has reconciled us to God. God has made a way for us to be in a right, a good relationship with Him through Christ. Now, that's something we couldn't we couldn't do on our own. So God, in His graciousness, made a way for us, and this is good news this is really good news because even in light of this good news we still can find problems right problems in our own lives problems in our relationships problems in the church and i'm not just talking about here but i'm talking even in the big church we we see it in the world we see it in our workplaces we see it in sports I mean, we just saw it after the halftime show in this last Super Bowl. I think the night of the Super Bowl, when I got home, I got a message from a friend. And he was bothered by one of the commercials that played during the Super Bowl. This is a friend in Florida, so don't worry. You don't have to look for anybody here. Um, But he was was bothered by a commercial that encouraged women to pursue a career in computer coding? Why? Why do they got to talk about women only? To which I responded, why are you so offended? Why is this even a problem? Right? The point isn't even the commercial. Right? The point is that there is a plethora of beefs or, let me translate for you, problems right, that we can create out of nothing, and that's what we're wired to do, right, because we are just inherently beef, right, or problem-seeking people. <laughs> we love a good scrap. Like I said earlier, I was like, maybe i got to take TJ out to the parking lot. I've got to fight with him to let me get into this series, but that wasn't the case, thankfully. I'm still working here. (laughs) And some people, right, they just skipped the halftime show. That's that's a good solution, right? If you don't want to watch it, you can just go watch something else. Some people watched it and enjoyed the music. I was one of those people because they played salsa, and I was yelling in Spanish at Johnny's house. It was great. That's another solution. Some people skipped the halftime show, but still critiqued wardrobes, right? What they wore on stage. Some people watched halftime show and they took the social media to suddenly become experts on dance moves, wardrobes, and all that type of stuff. Right? The wardrobe, the music, their ethnicity. I won't lie, I was, I was happy to see J-Lo displaying the flag of where my parents are from. I was really happy to see that. That That hit me differently. My mom called me the next day proud about that. But then she also told me people were complaining on her Facebook stream about that. You see, we can find all sorts of reasons to create hostility and division. Even the smallest little things we will take to Facebook to rant about suddenly we become experts right with with the world progressing at the rate that it is with the access that we have to things right there's more outlets for us now to devo- to voice our displeasures even with things that go on in the church here or in our families amongst our friends so let me ask you a question, in light of all this temptation to seek division, to seek hostility, to create strife, what's it look like for us to come together? Right? You might be thinking, well, that's an easy answer. This isn't a test of whether you have the right or wrong answer. I think the current answer would be this that we've all none of us are all of us have contributed contributed to in one way or another to the hostility or division that we see amongst us. And that was last week's sermon, right? We've all sinned. But God right the sooner the sooner you can start to accept that truth the sooner you can start to see but God as a reality. So how can we come together? We already established that God has made a way for us to be reconciled with him through Christ. But because of that, now we can be reconciled to each other. You're saying that we can be friends better We can be family, and we are family, which I think Paul starts to outline for us here in the first two verses, verses 11 and 12, where Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, right? So, shade, shade. The Jews were throwing shade at the Gentiles. He was, that's, the uncircumcision is not a nice thing to say. Right? So by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hands. In the context of reading this passage, remember Jew, Paul was a devout Jew. And here he is talking about the circumcision, a rite of passage for the Jewish people. And he says it was made in the flesh by the hands. He's minimizing it in some way. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time, key words here, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Separated, alienated, strangers, Remember. So sometimes it helps us to work in reverse and I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, well let's 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 pull this back a little bit. Let's, let's let's rewind the tape a little bit. He's reminding them of their former identity as Gentiles. Basic stuff. What is a Gentile? Simple. A Gentile is any person that isn't Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Now, Jewish folks at this time would refer to Gentiles as the uncircumcision. That's not a nice thing to say. Clearly, this was what you would call a superiority complex. It was on display. You stay over there, we're over here. God chose us. He didn't choose you guys. We're in, you're out. And Gentiles didn't want to be circumcised. I don't blame them. Right? And Jewish people thought of circumcision as a rite of passage. Not a rite of passage into adulthood, so much as a rite of passage that secured a future for them. Primarily, circumcision was a seal of the promise that God had made to the people of Israel through Abraham in Genesis. When he chose to make the Israelites his people. Now, over time, unfortunately... This rite of passage, the seal, had become a source of pride for the Jewish people, leading them to naturally start looking down on anybody who didn't have this seal. So you see, the strife has been developing. It's kind of been stewing, marinating for a little while now between the Jews and Gentiles. Right? These, these people weren't only left out of a ritual, but they were also at one point separated from Christ. Paul calls them separated, alienated, and strangers. Remember what you were. You were separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless, and without God. Now, he's just not talking to these people here in Ephesus, but he's talking about you. We were all separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless, and without God. You weren't entitled to a relationship with God and all of the benefits that came with that relationship. You didn't have citizenship in the kingdom. You were outside the covenant. Do you remember those days? Now, a lot of us would love to kind of leave our past behind us and just focus on what's in front of us. We just want to live in this moment here and now. And I can't say that I blame you for that, because I feel the same way at times too. But in this case, I think it would help us to remember these things in order to place the present in its proper context. Right? So like so, like he did in the last passage last week, but God, Paul, is now saying, but now. Right? So now, now he's he's flipping from the past and he's telling you what your present state is. So things are about to get intense. Look at this. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and There's a lot to unpack here, but now. right? So this is your present reality now. We're no longer in the past. Paul is telling us that our present reality is one of nearness. Nearness to who? Nearness to God. And as a result of this nearness to God, we can be near one another. So Christ's death didn't just cancel all the strife between us and God but it also destroys all of the strife between you and me. Now, contextually, Paul saw the gospel as the only absolute peace treaty between Jewish people and Gentiles. And as long as they held to different beliefs about Christ, they knew there would always be a division between them. So Paul isn't so preoccupied with the schism here. Though, because he understands that Christ has already broken down that wall. But there was clearly there was clearly hostility toward Gentiles. And Paul was called to the Gentiles. He has to reconcile. Paul has to reconcile what he grew up believing with his conversion experience. He's now ministering to the people he's looked down on at one point in the past. And he's saying, now Christ is our peace. And if anyone knew this from both sides of the aisle, it would be Paul. Right? He's experienced the hostility, and he's currently living in the peace that was afforded to him by Christ. And This is the point. Hostility will always destroy any attempts at oneness in the church. It reminded me of our last series that we went through, 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 12 and verse 12, where Paul is talking about oneness in the body. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members in all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. All I could think about on that Sunday when we went through that verse is that here I am, I'm sitting in this sanctuary, that Sunday, and there's this interconnectedness between us. We need each other. And not just in our actions and what we are able to accomplish physically, but even in emotion and feeling. And that hits different because when you think about it, we can often see relationships as transactional. What can this person do for me? But hostility feels like that's, that's rooted in a feeling and an emotion. Whether it's bitterness or indifference. We kind of just let it stew. We let it stick around a little longer. Let's call this, I guess you could say, horizontal hostility. Because right? vertical hostility, right? we already know that's been taken care of. There's been a Christ is our peace there. You might be thinking, well, Dennis, I don't wish anything bad on anyone. I don't, I don't wish anything bad for this person, but, but I just don't see why I should even try with them. All right, so cool. You don't want to beat them up in the parking lot or anything like that. Cool but that's not what I'm getting at here, right? There are are certain barriers we place that keep us from relationally connecting with others who are different from us. It can be implicit, or it can be explicit, but it's there, right? There's so many variances in our lives. Think about it. There's relationship status there's socioeconomic status there's ethnicity there's physical appearance there's rich there's poor there's a high school diploma there's phd there's a lot of differences in life a lot of different statuses in life and look at this this is the beautiful thing about this god knows us and he still brings us together he knows all of our differences and he still brings us together and that even in our differences, we would be relational and int- intentional, relationally intentional to one another. The peace that Christ has won us makes it possible for us to be connected to one another, despite our many, many vast differences. And one, one really cool place that you can see that happen is in our missional communities. right? In a missional community, you have a front row seat, a weekly front row seat to see very different people come together in one place and talk about Jesus. Because even though in our vast differences, the most important thing that we have in common is Jesus. Right? So when someone, like for instance, when someone comes to me and asks me, hey, I'm really interested in, in attending a missional community. How do I, how do I connect with one? I don't send them a form. I don't send them a form asking for a detailed history of education. Hey, I need to know you meet this certain criteria. Right? I don't ask them what their annual income is. I don't ask them what their gender is. I don't even ask them what their race is. I don't care about any of that. Essentially, I just ask them one question: what's your weekly schedule look like? For practicality reasons. What what night of the week works best for you? At first, I'm not so worried about whether they'll get along with the people there either. Because the expectation is that they will get along. Why? Because Christ has broken down this dividing wall of hostility. We can get along because Christ is our peace. So we know that the peace of Christ makes it possible for us to pursue nearness with one another. But we can also see that this piece eliminates all standards we impose on one another as an admission fee. Okay, so check this out. Being Jewish meant following ceremonies and standards that were laid out in the Old Testament. And Paul refers to these traditions in today's text. Let me line up some of the phrases that he uses. He says, uncircumcision, decircumcision... Commonwealth of Israel, covenants of promise, law of commandments, and ordinances. These are all references to what it takes to be Jewish, to get in. And these were also barriers that were used against Gentiles for them to enter into the presence of God. You don't have access to God until you meet these requirements, you don't have access to community until you meet these requirements. So, as a result of that, and I can't blame, there is hostility. Which leads me to think of a question that we can continually ask ourselves. Am I, are you, putting up any kind of barriers or obstacles to pursuing a relationship with someone? Have you placed ordinances that require a hefty admission fee for connection? If so, Paul is saying here that all of those requirements for relationship and any differences that we might have with each other are removed. Christ has broken down this wall of hostility. He has given us access to the presence of God. I would tell you, get rid of them. Throw them out. But I understand that that's easier to say and hard to do. But Paul, being such a smart guy, helps us to knock down these walls. He says in verse 17, Paul's speaking about Jesus here. He says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. We are a people that have been changed by the gospel. Our Relationship with God at one point was one of strife and enmity. But God, through Jesus, has established peace with people he was once at odds with. So Jesus came and he preached peace to who? Everyone. People who were far off and people who were near. So if we are all about taking after Jesus' example here, we must be about preaching peace. Relational harmony in community is accomplished through the preaching of the gospel. So if you want relational harmony in your marriage, in your commissional community, in your friendships, in your families, at your workplaces, it can be accomplished through the preaching of the gospel Now, this doesn't mean that you go to work tomorrow with the Bible and start slapping dudes in the head with it. But this should inform how you act in your workplaces. This should inform your conversations that you have with your coworkers, with your children, with your spouse, with your friends. We can often fall into the trap of thinking the gospel is something that only applies to me at the moment when I first come to faith in Christ. It's a starting point. But it doesn't exactly sustain me throughout all of my life. We kind of treat it like a flu vaccine. I took care of that. I'm good. So let me ask you a question something I often ask myself. When you encounter a problem or a struggle with yourself or with someone else, do you see that as a gospel opportunity? What's a gospel opportunity? I hijacked this from Bob Thune. He defines it as an opportunity to believe the promises of the gospel more deeply and to rely on the Holy Spirit to change my heart and my life in the way that God desires. And one of the primary places we can seize gospel opportunities is within the context of community. And preaching peace is all about seizing gospel opportunities for us to speak life into the people around us and to the people at our missional communities and to our coworkers, our spouse, or our children. Even though they might look or think differently than we do. I think it's obvious that we should be about preaching to everyone. I think that's what Paul is instructing us here. If you're far or you're near, you should hear about the gospel. But for Paul, he's referring to Jews and Gentiles, which basically encompasses everybody. And this is why missional communities are such a vital part of what happens here at Redemption's Hill. It will be difficult for anyone to fully integrate into life here at Redemption's Hill if you haven't jumped into a missional community. I know that's true for myself, and I know that's true for others. Because right, there, you really get to experience the nearness of preaching and believing the gospel to one another. It's also a place where you can spur one another to bring the gospel to those who are far off. Now, I'm not trying to sell missional communities, although I am encouraging to attend one. But for you to experience the oneness that Paul is teaching here in all of its fullness, you have to seize every resource available to you. And missional communities is a resource. It's a faithful representation of how the gospel can bring people with tons of differences together in harmony. Take it from me. Right? I'm a dude from South Florida. My parents are Puerto Rican. I grew up in mostly Spanish-speaking congregations. I went to one American church, and that was right before I moved here. That spoke primarily English. Right? So I moved from South Florida to the Midwest. Most people, the first six months of me living here, would ask me, why did you do that? Like I made a mistake. And honestly, this weather still has me shook after four years. This is the point, not the weather. Outside of the gospel, it would be hard for me to fully integrate into life here at Redemption's Hill. And all of that is made possible through the gospel. Now, look at me. I'm on staff. I am learning to do life in ministry as well as partake in the community. All of that made possible. A guy who grew up hearing sermons in Spanish for the first three quarters of his life joining an American English-speaking church in the Midwest. That is only made possible through the gospel. Only Jesus can do something like that. He can bring a person that has no relation to this area and make them feel at home. That's what Jesus accomplishes for us. And because of the gospel, I have a seat at the table. Because of the gospel, you have a seat at the table. This is what God does through Jesus. He brings what looks like on the surface two completely opposing forces And he wipes away any reason or obstacle for why there shouldn't be harmony. Why? Because he places himself as the source of peace for the community. Not our efforts. Not our ability to have more conversations. Not our ability to come at the table together. But because he put himself on the cross, we can meet despite All of these differences that we have with one another, and we can do it and still love each other. That is so counter to what we see in the world today. Now, killing all this hostility, right? This hostility between each other, beefs that we have with each other, whether they're outspoken or something you've just been hanging on to for years, can be exhaustive. I know it's exhaustive when you're just hanging on to stuff and you don't even want to talk about it right? Community can be hard at times. No one said it would be a cakewalk. And this is why verse 18 is so crucial. For through him, Jesus, we both, both have access in one spirit to the Father. That is good news. Jesus has won us this inexhaustible Never-ending access to God. And one of the primary ways that we access God is through prayer. Prayer is one of the main ways that we can access God. Pursuing God doesn't always have to be a solo effort. It can be a joint effort. And one of the coolest things that you can see in community is a shared effort in pursuit of God the family of God coming together with a shared mission of growing in closeness to God. And through and because of the peace of Christ, we can do that together. One of the another cool way that you get to see that is at a prayer meeting. I announced that we have one on the 23rd. You should totally attend. Now, prayer is a very practical method of pursuing God. It's not JV or varsity. You don't get promoted from prayer to something better. Prayer is like breathing. But in this prayer meeting, what you see are just a group of people who are different, coming together in, one, in oneness, united, saying, amen. We all are agreeing to come before the throne of God together. It's a tangible, it's a beautiful picture of this community coming together, taking advantage of the full access that we have to God. Now, Paul outlines this, this, there's implications for this shared access that we have to God. In verse 19, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here's the implication. The first thing Paul addresses is their citizenship. Right? There no, are no longer refugees in the faith. No. They are, you are, full-fledged citizens. What does that mean? With citizenship, you get to share in Benefits. All the benefits and responsibilities that come along with your citizenship in the kingdom. Essentially, you have a vested interest in community. You have resources available to you. Community, missional community, DNA groups, prayer meetings, worship here. And you have a role to play in this story. Made me think. My father used to work for the Southern Baptist Convention. He oversaw all the Spanish-speaking and Portuguese-speaking um, congregations in South Florida. So our first language in, in South Florida is Spanish, not English. And so it's, it's crazy. It's just so many churches my dad would have to oversee. He often had to help pastors who were seeking asylum in America. So what he would do is that he would, he would help them get their, their paperwork ready, Give them the resources to lawyers and help them through the legal process of becoming citizens now this isn 't a political statement, but something you could see pretty often because they would the pastors would come to our house a lot is a fear. There is always this fear because when you 're dealing with legal process, it can take a long time right There's, so then fear would just eventually morph into desperation. It was this fear. They weren't, they weren't quite in yet, so they, they couldn't qualify for all the benefits. They, wouldn't, they were fearful of the fact that they wouldn't be able to become citizens here in America. And then when you aren't a citizen in America, the resources that you have available to you are very limited as it is. But as you saw this desperation kick in, you would see vulnerability just happen because they can't call this home yet. Essentially, they're just stuck in limbo. That's not the case here. There's no fear. There's no desperation, because you're in. You're welcome. You have a home here. You're part of this family. You see, church isn't an event to tend Or a cool place with tons of amenities. Church, church is a family. Church is a family with a shared mission and shared access to God. Now, with any home, the foundation and its cornerstone are the most important things. So the whole structure can be fortified. These pieces are make it or break it. And if you take away either one of these pieces the house will fall. Which is probably why Paul makes mention of it. He wants to take away all singular effort on our parts to uphold the strength of this house to fortify this house. He wants to he wants you to know that a whole reliance on the word in Christ is what builds this house. Look at this in verses 20 to 22 built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, are all, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now the foundation of the church is the word. Right. So through the faithful preaching of the word, the church is fortified. So we can't know the peace of Christ without the word of Christ. The foundation also doesn't change or sway with time. The foundation stays the same. And this foundation won't crack and it won't spring a leak. This foundation is strong, it's true. And Christ is its cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone is the first rock laid down in the foundation. And this rock is where the weight of the whole entire structure rests. Now the stability of the community hinges on Jesus, not our efforts. And thank God for that. This whole text rests on Jesus. This whole sermon rests on Jesus. I can't tell you to throw yourself into community with 100% confidence if it isn't on Jesus. Jesus. And that's what makes this next part possible. Two phrases that Paul uses in verses 21 and 22 where he says, Paul says, joined together and built together. We are being built and joined together into a holy temple. This is the beauty of what's happening here. Now in Ephesus there was a huge temple where they would worship the Greek god Artemis. And in Jerusalem, there was the huge temple there for the Jewish people. Paul is contending with these temples. He's coming against all of these temples, all these other gods in his time. And he's promoting a temple that will be standing, still standing over time. A temple that has no walls, or hold, doesn't hold any admission fees for entry. A temple that says all animosity, hostility, strife, or division has been settled at the cross. This is good news. A temple that brings people together despite our many differences. Not only that, a temple that's still being built today. We are a temple of people brought together in Christ. Only Jesus can do something like that. We are reconciled to God and to each other. And honestly, that's the best place to start. And it's a place that we never leave. John paints for us in the book of Revelations probably the best picture of what it looks like for all of the church to come together. chapter 7, verse 9 of Revelations, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A great multitude from every nation, every tribe, people, and tongue Standing before God. No hostility, no beefs, no bitterness, just a shared pursuit. I want to finish by asking you a question. Band, you can come back up. Then I want to help you kind of think through that question. Here we go. Have you allowed the truth of the gospel to shape your view of what the church should be? I want to help you think through that now. There's two ways that Paul in this text kind of helps us understand what the church is and what it isn't. He talks about a former state, the past. He uses terms like in the flesh, separated, alienated, hopeless, far off. That's what you could think of the church as. Lastly, the present. Brought near. One. Reconciled. One body built together, joined together? Which one is informing your view of the church? Now, today we get to do the Lord's Supper. We get to do communion. As a kid, I always enjoyed communion. It only happened like once every three months growing up because it was something church did together. So you, I would, as a kid, just watch in the sanctuary who would grab the juice and the bread and to kind of judge people who didn't. <laughs> as a kid, you didn't know any better, right? But the point was that we did it together, right? And together we remember the body and the blood. Together we remember what the body and the blood has accomplished on our behalf. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us instructions for how we, should, how we should do this, how we should take communion. In verse 11, in, in 23, it starts, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Only th- anybody can partake. We just ask that your faith be in Jesus. If you can, let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to end us out with some prayer. Father, we we just thank you for the opportunity that we get to come together as a church and be reminded of your good news. Not only that it has accomplished peace between us and you, but because it's also accomplished peace between us, together in this community. So Lord, any obstacles, any barriers that we might have against each other, with one another, I pray that you would remind us of this truth, that because you have won us peace with the Father, we can have peace with one another. Help us to pursue peace. To love the stranger. Because at one point, we were strangers. Father, we can only do this because you make it possible for us to do this. So we thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.